All right, coming out of the dark, right? There we go, get some light. All right, hey, welcome to the season of Advent. Now, if you've never been a part of the season of Advent, let me just explain what's happening within the church. And I don't mean just this church, but churches all across our peninsula and all across our world. Advent is a really fancy word. Anybody know where it comes from? No? Who said it? Latin. Anybody silly enough to study Latin in school? Okay, a couple of you maybe. Okay, oh, good. You can correct me later, okay. So Latin just actually means coming, okay, or arrival. And it's been uh, celebrated for many, many, many hundreds, even thousands of years, the concept of Advent. And when we come to Christmas, we're celebrating the first coming, the first Advent of Jesus. But the early church was not just excited about his first coming, they were also excited about his second coming, And so they've been looking forward to both. And we'll get into some of the details of this in a little bit. But what I love about this season is it begins to prepare us for what we're about to celebrate on Christmas Eve. Now, how many of you have already started listening to Christmas music? I'm curious. Okay. How many of you are ticked off that people are playing Christmas music already? Okay. It's interesting. Okay. So one way or the other, you're beginning to be prepared for the season of Advent. Let me give you some memories I have of Advent, and I'd love to hear some of your memories as you prepared for the season of Advent. I had an Advent calendar. Did anybody else have one? Did anybody else's Advent calendar have chocolate? Okay, you can tell. Chocolate. Okay, so mine had, I remember as a kid, I was so excited to be able to poke that hole every day and go, oof, what's the chocolate today, right? That was, it was like one of those things that prepared you for Advent. There's also other expectations. How many of you have amazing uh, memories of Christmas morning? Anybody? Okay, anybody still watch the Christmas story for that reason? Anybody got the pink nightmare um, outfit? No, okay, just curious, that's coming But there's these memories and there's movies that we associate. Um, My wife and I already started the whole trek of watching certain movies. Some of them I would love to tell you about and other ones I don't want to be judged by, so I won't tell you. Some of the Christmas movies that we really enjoy as we prepare for, yeah, that's one of them, yeah. So don't, there's a few of them I'm just like, that's just daggone funny and I love to watch it as I prepare for Christmas. But what you need to understand when we talk about Advent is while we have these traditions and we have these things that we look forward to, the first church and the early church had been waiting 400 years for the arrival of Jesus. And so what I mean by that is they had prophets who were teachers. They would teach different things about God, God's heart, God's character. And the last prophet had passed away and there was no word for 400 years. And so Israel was waiting for the arrival of Jesus. And as they waited, they had all these different things that they were going through. They were going through some military issues. They were going through some political issues. They were going through issues economically. And at times there was no hope. And the only hope that they had was to cling to one day, God was going to send someone that they knew as the Messiah. We use the word Christ. It's the exact same word in two different languages. And that hope that he would one day arrive and he would fix everything is what held them. It held them in a way that we probably can't fully understand unless in this season you're someone lacking hope. It's actually those that lack hope, I think, that crave it the most of Christ's arrival. A lot of us, as we get older, sometimes we take that hope for granted, just like a marriage that sometimes we take for granted, especially when there's silence we consider in our faith. And maybe you're in a season right now where you're lacking hope because of an illness or a family situation or a job situation or a political situation. There's all kinds of different things that come and attack our hope. 
And what I love about this season is we get to get reminded that hope is something that we don't create ourselves, but someone that we latch on to. And so in the New Testament, you heard from the Old Testament just a minute ago, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, writing to Rome, quotes Isaiah, which you heard earlier, but he quotes it in a new light that I think is something that we can get a hold of and understand hope better. So if you've got a Bible, open up Romans 15. It'll be on the screen behind me. It's also inside of your notes. But Romans 15, just a few verses, 12 through 13, we see Paul's view of the concept of hope. And watch how he shifts. Again, Romans 15, starting in verse 12. And again, Isaiah, the prophet, Isaiah the prophet says, the root of Jesse will spring up. One who will rise to rule over the nations. The Gentiles, that's you and me, unless you're Jewish, will hope in him. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, what's so unique about this text is, one, you finally get the idea of where do we get these ideas of celebrating hope and peace and love and joy. It comes from this idea that this all is connected to hope and connected to the coming of Jesus. Now, what's unique about Paul's perspective And I don't know if you picked up on this. Depends on how long you've been a Christian or maybe you're not a Christian yet. Maybe you're coming from a different religious background. But Paul does something here that's absolutely unique. You see all three attributes and personalities of the Trinity in this one text. One of the things that's unique about the Christian faith, and you're going to find that's unique about their view regarding hope, is how they view God differently. A lot of people look at God in just a very kind of narrow way. But God, if he's to reveal himself, is going to reveal himself to in a way that probably will be difficult for us to fully understand with our intellect. Would you agree? Some people think I can understand God completely with just my mind. If I can understand God completely with just my mind, that means that I can reduce God down to someone I can understand. And then therefore, he's no longer God. You see, if God's going to reveal himself and God is infinite and he's powerful and he's profound and he's outside of the, of the bounds of time, he probably will reveal himself in such a way that will require us not just to use our intellect, but also use our faith. And so only within the Christian journey do you have this idea of the Trinity. Anybody ever heard of the Trinity? So the Trinity is the idea that the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the spirit. The spirit is not the father. They all three have unique personalities and yet all three are fully God. So God chose in his infinite wisdom to reveal himself in three unique personalities. And he's not schizophrenic, okay? This is normal for God. And he does this not only throughout the Old Testament, but in this moment, you get to see him revealed in all three personages and you're about to see why it's so important for us to embrace the Trinity because it's only in an embracing of the Trinity that you can fully understand hope. Let me break that down for a second for those of you that want to go real deep. Israel's still waiting on the first coming of the Messiah. They're still waiting on that hope. Every world religion you're going to find has some way that they're going to actually achieve hope by their own effort. 
In a moment, you're going to see that not only can we not achieve it by our effort, but we can't even plan it with our own mind. So let me give you this as we break this down. There's three components affecting hope, connected to the Trinity, connected to how God's revealing himself. The first is this, and it's goals, and we see that in the Father. You see, the Father is the one that had the goal, had the vision, understood what the whole plan would be before the foundation of the earth. That's why it says, and again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse, this is coming out of Judaism, it's coming out of specific uh, part of Israel's uh, connection to the different 12 tribes, but specifically when it's Jesse, who will rise and rule over the nations. But the Gentiles will hope in him, and this is something that Israel missed. Israel kept looking for a Messiah who would only deal with their nation. Does that sound familiar in the day that we're living in? They would only worry about their people group. They would only be concerned about their ethnic group. And even in Isaiah, and then Paul says it again, the, the, the plan of the Father was never for one ethnic group, never for one group of people. It was for all people. That's why he uses the word Gentiles. It's all the people that can't even see God coming, that God has this vision that's bigger than the vision of just Israel, bigger than just the vision of any one religious realm. And what's interesting is this vision is connected to a very specific goal. And the goal is that of Christ's coming. You know, psychologists that study this know there's a big difference in optimism and goals. Anybody ever figure this out yet? This is why uh, when you have a New Year's resolution, it doesn't work. Anybody ever have one of those? I have one every year to lose weight. So far, it's not been working very well. Okay. Anybody know why my goal is not working very well? Because I'm pretty optimistic. It's going to work one day. My wife's even more optimistic. One day, it's going to work out. But there's a reason why it doesn't work out. Because there's a difference in being optimistic and having a goal. A goal has a vision of a preferred reality that's put into action. You see, the father had a vision of a preferred reality that he put into action. And it wasn't just optimistic, God's gonna fix everything one day, we sure hope so. There was an actual process and God had foretold the coming of Christ. In fact, Isaiah, you may not know this if you not studied the Bible, writes all of the prophetic moments, these things about Christ coming beforehand, 700 years before Jesus comes to the planet. Now, that's either somebody doing some really interesting fakery in Scripture, or maybe, and this is what I think, this is where my faith lands, God was foretelling of his one vision 700 years before anybody could ever conceive of it. And only God could do that. Only God could have that kind of vision and then implement that kind of vision with specific goals of the specific time that Jesus would come to earth. You see, God's got perfect vision. He's got perfect sight. And this was the problem. Israel's struggle with God's vision was they wanted God to just do it for them and not for the whole world, not for the whole nation. That's the issue. One of my favorite movies, not a Christmas movie. This is not a recommended movie. That, by the way, when I mention a movie, it's not a recommendation. So don't come back to me and say, the pastor recommended to watch this. That's what I'm saying. I'm just telling you, I watched it and I liked it, okay? But one of my favorite movies of all time is The Shawshank Redemption. Anybody love that movie? My wife says, I hate that movie. Do not turn that on again. And I'm like, why, babe? She's like, that's a depressing, stinking movie. I'm like, she goes, why do you love this movie? I said, I love this movie, one, because of the humanity of it. It's so real. But my favorite part of the movie is the dimension of hope. That's why I love this movie. If you know the movie, I'm going to describe to you what happens. There's two guys there in prison. One's name is Red. You might know the name of the other guy. Red's the, Red's the wise guy. He's the one that's been in prison the longest. The other one's a guy named Andy. 
They're both in prison. They're both serving life sentences. And Andy, if you, I don't want to ruin the movie for you. He's got a way to get out. I'm not going to tell you what it is. It's pretty cool what he does. He gets out before Red, but before he gets out, he's having a conversation with Red. And when he's having a conversation with him, Red says, you know what? I think I'm an institutional man now. I don't think I'm ever going to get out. And if I do get out, I don't think I can make it on the outside. Essentially, what he's saying is, is I've got no hope. I have no vision for my life beyond the point where I am. And Andy says, look, hope's a great thing. He's like, man, there's no purpose for hope when you're going through what we're going through. You need to throw that away. It's going to crush you. And Andy gives him this idea that hope maybe is one of the best of things, the grace of things. If you get to watch this movie, he says, if you ever get out, there's this field and I want you to find it. And I want you to go to the end of this fence and there's something buried there just for you. And you'll need a rock to pry it up. And he pries it up and he finds there some cash for a bus ticket. And he finds a letter from his friend saying, I hope you can join me one day on the beach down here in Mexico. Okay, come on down where there's no extradition, okay? That's his plan. And he says, come on down. You and I can actually build the life that we've talked about building. One that's got some value and some purpose. And I love the way the movie ends because you get this, 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 this idea that he can hardly contain himself because of the first time Red has hope in a long time. You see, the father had hope. The father had a vision. The father knew that you and I and all of humanity, when we try to fix our issues through religion, we fail. We get frustrated. We get wore out. Every time the imam or the rabbi or the pastor says, here's all the things you've got to do to make God happy. And then you try because you desperately want a relationship with God and you wear yourself out. You're actually seeing the inverse of hope. You're seeing man-created optimism as opposed to the goal that God had for each and every person that they could attain a relationship with God. Because God's vision was every time we leave it up to mankind, we foul it up really well. But if I come, and I come in the flesh, I can achieve a relationship with myself that mankind could never fully achieve in and of themselves. God had that vision. If you don't believe me, open to Genesis. And when you read Genesis, you'll read this amazing prophetic moment that says that the serpent will what? Bruise the heel of the woman's offspring, but her offspring will crush the head of the serpent. From the very beginning, God had a vision that he would send himself completely in the person of Jesus who could actually deal with the issue in a way that none of us could deal with. That's why the second part of this is the walk. It's not just the vision, it's the walk. And the walk we see in the son. We see that in the person of Jesus. You see, with Jesus, we, not, we don't just see God in the flesh. We see God in the flesh living out the perfect aspects of the law and fulfilling the law in a perfect way that you and I can't. I love it in verse 12. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who arrives to rule over the nations. The Gentiles will hope in him. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you what? Trust in him. Isaiah is saying, one day you're gonna trust in this person. You're gonna put all of your hope 
in the Messiah, in the Christ, the one that you and I, I hope, know is Jesus. And when you trust in him, you will not only trust in what he's done, but you'll trust in the walk that he lived. You see, when you look at the person of Jesus, I don't know if you figured this out yet. I don't know if you've read a lot about him or you've just listened to other people talk about him. Because there's a big difference in reading him and there's a big difference in just listening to people talk about him. Because whenever man talks about Jesus, we flaw it. We don't give him to you perfectly. That's why I love the Bible. The Bible reveals Jesus perfectly to us in a way that doesn't mess him up, that keeps him pure, that keeps him where he's supposed to be. And when I read about Jesus, I'm like, how could any mere man walk in perfect faith? Now, if y'all don't understand that, try it for a while. It only takes me about half a day to screw something up and sin in some way, whether it's in thought or deed or in action. And yet Jesus lives 33 and a half years and never sins in thought or in deed. Now that's unique. That's a walk. When I talk about walking the walk, not just talking the talk, that you and I can look to and go, there's something unique about him. There's something different about him. And that's why he says, trust in him. One of the things I've learned to do is uh, share about my life. And I don't know if you've learned to do this yet. We love to do that here at Grace by talking about a word and a win and a wrestle. You know, Jesus does this in his ministry on, on earth. And he shares often about what the word of God says. He talks about the win, which is the vision that God has for the planet. And he also talks about how people are really wrestling in aspects of their life. And when you look about that, you talk about the way that you're sharing your life in, in, in a very intimate, real way. It's a walk. Some of the ways that we walk in our faith, and I don't know if you've experienced some of these, is one of the ways I love to do this with you all is in our daily devotions, right? When you read God's word every day, and as you read God's word every day, and you get to talk about God's word with other people, you begin to walk and think about him all the time. Another way that I see this is when I get to hang out with certain people, whether it's in ministry like today, and hanging out with some of the people serving, or in sometimes we just grow, what we call growth groups, in those moments, I get to share about my faith. And what I find when I share about these things, and I'm very authentic and I'm very real about my life and people are real with me about their life, is I find that we're a very flawed, messed up people. Have y'all figured that out yet? And the longer I'm with people, the more I realize how flawed we really are and how flawed I am. Which is why I love God's vision of providing a perfect sacrifice within himself because if he'd have left it up to us, we would have really messed it up. The other thing I love about this is when people hold me accountable. People call me on my own junk. You have someone that does that for you? Recently, I was hanging out with a friend, and he said, Pastor, you always know it's going to be bad when they call you pastor because it's like loading the gun. Pastor, I don't know which end they're going to go with it. If they're going to shoot me with something that's just going on in their life, or they're going to shoot me with something going on in my life. But usually when I hear that word first, it's coming. And this person said, I'm concerned for you. I'm worried for you. I'm praying for you. And so we got talking about it and just started talking about our lives and sharing our lives back with one another. And what this person was concerned about was, you know, one of the things that's very unique about being a human being is we can uh, have limits. Y'all figured that out? Or limits of exhaustion or where you overextend yourself or you take on more than what you should take on or you say yes to too many things that you should have said no to. You know, no is a biblical word. Still trying to learn it at times. And this person just, man, they hit me with it. And what they reminded me was in my walk, I hope you get this, I'm not Jesus. He walked in a way that was so perfect and even he dealt with exhaustion but he had a rhythm to his life that I need 
And when I look to him and I look to that rhythm, I find that there's hope. Let me tell you why I find there's hope. Jesus rose every morning early to do one thing. Y'all know what it was? It was to pray. Yeah, not, not to check his Facebook, okay? Guilty, okay? So he rose every morning early to just pray and spend time with the Father. You know who really caught this was a guy named Martin Luther. Martin Luther one day said he had so much to do. His day was overwhelmed. It was saturated. Martin Luther said, I have so much to do today, I'm going to spend an extra hour in prayer. So when we looked at Jesus, we see a walk that teaches us how to live a rhythm in our life that gives us hope. We also see that our faith is not dependent on our effort, but on his and we see that from the very beginning, this was the Father's plan. This was the Father's goal. And then the other part of this that we see within the Trinity is it's fueled by the Spirit of God. Not by our exuberance, not by our effort, but by the very presence of the Spirit of God living inside of you. And I love in the second part of verse 13, it says, so that you may overflow with hope, again repeated, by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is an aspect of the church that a lot of us don't understand. Um, can't tell you how many times I've heard people refer to the Holy Spirit as an it, okay? He's not an it, he's a he. And he lives and dwells within the lives of people who call themselves Christians and are truly following after him. He transforms your heart, he transforms your thinking. He brings about a whole new way of life. And I love it when you first get to see him in the life of a new believer. Y'all love that? He's, he's actually, he's almost obnoxious in the life of new believers because <laughs> they don't even know what they don't know, but they're excited that he's now alive in them. They're some of the most fun people to be around when they first come to faith. They don't know what they don't know, but they know that they've been saved. And they know that they've been saved from a life of religion and effort and that God now dwells richly inside of them. That's one of the things I love. The other thing that you see within the spirit, and maybe you've never experienced this, is genuine worship from our worship team, Right? Worship is where we give worth and honor to God and we care very little for what others think about our expression of it. Never forget the first time I came to faith at 17, but no one taught me that the Holy Spirit was alive in me. I could sense him there, but no one told me how to tap into the power of the Holy Spirit at that point in my life. Had a lot of people trying to confuse me about it, by the way. Had all kinds of different people from different churches telling me all these different things I had to do to get the Holy Spirit more active in my life. And I went, wait a minute. I didn't save myself. God saved me through the person of Jesus when he died for me on the cross. So how do I now have to activate the Holy Spirit? If I got to activate the Holy Spirit, we've got the same problem again, don't we? He's no longer God. I am, because I'm commanding him what to do in my life at that moment. And then it dawned on me that really what happens when you see the Holy Spirit manifest in the person's life is you see more surrender. You see more of them just submitting to what he's asking in their life. First time this happened, everybody remember a movement called Promise Keepers? Everybody remember Promise Keepers? It was a movement, a bunch of guys from all over the country getting together to just worship Jesus, to know more about him, and to grow in their faith. I'll never forget, it was in a large stadium of men that I finally felt the Holy Spirit teaching me, admonishing me, and asking me for the very first time, and I finally responded by faith, to raise my hands in worship. Up to then, I felt very confined in my expression of worship. You know why? Because I grew up in a tradition where expression wasn't part of it. And I remember for the first time raising my hands and having a dialogue with God through the Holy Spirit saying, why is it you want me to raise my hands? And he says, doesn't matter why 
I asked you to raise your hands. Raise your stinking hands. He didn't say it that way. Okay, the Holy Spirit doesn't speak that way. That's my filter. But he did say to me, just be obedient. Just respond to me by faith. And I'm like, okay. And I remember then putting my hands in the air for the first time. And this overwhelming sense of God's presence alive inside of me, bringing me to a point of tears, of sensing his very presence not only around me, but in me. Why did that happen? Was it because I pulled the trigger on the magic formula of raising hands? No, it was because in that moment I was obedient. You'll have the same sense when he says, turn around and pick that guy up. You're like, what? (laughs) Say what? You want me to do what? No, no, actually buy that dude a burger. Hey, that person across the way that you don't even like in church, there's something going on in their life, I want you to go give them a hundred bucks. Say again? (laughs) Maybe you meant 50, Lord, let's talk, Okay. But here's the reality. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit begins to speak to you. Someone was asking me one day recently, like, how do you, you say that all the time, the Holy Spirit spoke to you. How do you know that? You have this sense. As you walk with Christ and live out your faith, he speaks to you in these still, small whispers, and you get these very strong impressions that you can't explain. You're like, that did not come from my mind because I would never thought that. That came from somewhere else, and then it's confirmed through the body of believers. It's confirmed through the people you're sharing your life with. And then you respond by faith, and in that moment, you begin to sense how the Spirit empowers you. I was talking to a friend recently. He was going through a really rough time. And we were back uh, when we were doing our last series, Make Me Like. And one of the things that we talked about was the spiritual discipline of fasting. And this person had never fasted in their life. They said, I'm going to try this out. Not that it's a magic formula, but in their prayer life, they felt like the Holy Spirit was impressing on them fast. I'll never forget. They called me up and said, this is pretty stinking amazing. I'm like, yeah, it's pretty cool, isn't it? So the Lord asked you to fast. Yep. And you've been fasting. Yep, I can only do three days. But I'm going to do three days. And they fasted three days. And they said, I've never sensed the presence of God like I sense him right now. Don't confuse this, church. They didn't sense that because they fasted. They sensed the Holy Spirit because they were obedient to him when he asked them to fast. And this is the thing, as you watch the life of Jesus and as you walk through this next season, the Holy Spirit will ask you to do things and when you respond by faith, you will then know what it means to be fueled by, empowered by the Spirit. This is why this is so important. And so when we look at the Trinity and people say, I don't understand the Trinity. You don't have to understand it. God reveals himself in a mysterious way. You just have to accept it by faith. And as you accept him by faith, the Father has a goal for your life. I guarantee he does. A goal and a purpose. The Son will teach you how to walk in faith as you read about him in the scriptures. You will see how Jesus walked and you will, be, you will learn how to walk like him as you were fueled by and equipped by the Spirit of God. And the mystery of how God does this is one of the ways that the church And God's people are absolutely so unique. And this is what God so wants as we begin the advent of hope. Why is this important? Because whatever is attacking your hope, you need to first hear a vision from the Father and a goal that he has in your life. And it might surprise you when he tells you what he wants in that area. Then you're going to look to see, did Jesus walk through this? How did he deal with it? And you're going to read about that. And you're going to go, okay. Well, Jesus went through for something very similar like this. So therefore... I can as well, someone who lays hold of the person of Jesus. And then you're going to ask the Holy Spirit then 
to show you specifically how you're going to engage in that specific area of your life, whatever that struggle is. And you'll find that God will manifest hope in your life in a way that you could never, ever conceive of. As part of this season, one of the things that I wanted to do to help as a church family that I've got now the habit of doing, I thought this would be great during the season of Advent, is starting this Wednesday, I wanted to get back to actually fasting and praying with you online. So every Wednesday up through Christmas, I'll be on Facebook Live, on my own live Facebook feed, just praying and fasting and just being there with you to see how God's going to move through his spirit. So if you want to take a lunch break, you want to hang out, we'll be on Facebook Live and we will pray for anything that God brings to your mind, any struggle, because I believe he'll bring hope for that. The other thing I want you to hear is that during the Christmas season, you and I have family and friends that lack hope. Maybe you're one of those people. This is the season where God will show up in such a powerful way in your life. You might not even know it yet. You probably can't see it just like Israel couldn't see it. But God's about to wreck your world. He's going to do it by bringing hope to you in such a way that you can never conceive of it, never vision it, never walk in it, but only God could power. And when that happens, you've got to share it with other people. You've got to share it with other people. One of the ways that you can share that, um, Kevin mentioned, is inviting people to a Christmas service. But I want to tell you to go a step farther. Before you invite them to a Christmas service, invite them to grab hold of the hope that I hope that you already have. Invite them to grab the hope. So here's, here's this week. I said, uh, who do you know that lacks hope? Invite them to Christmas Eve. But I want to take that a step farther and say, I'd rather you share the hope that you have in the good news of who Christ is with them before Christmas Eve. That you would share how he's changed your life. Now, if he's not radically changed your life, that's the real reason you're here today. So that you can experience hope in a person and not in a religion. So the Father's plan from the very get-go that we talked about was to send Jesus to walk perfectly and live out the law that we couldn't live. And for every person that watches Jesus and gets around him, they find that they have to admit that they fall so short, that we're sinners incomparable when you look at the life and the person of Jesus. We put our belief and our hope and our trust in him. No one else, not a denomination, not a religion, but only in the person of Jesus. And we put our belief and our trust and our hope in Christ alone because he died for our sins. He paid the penalty for our sins. Then you will have in your life a flooding of the empowerment of the spirit as you commit to him to watch him live out your life. We call that the ABCs of the faith. We try to preach that every Sunday so that you can hear, admit your sin before God, believe only on the person of Christ, and then commit your life so you can be empowered by the Spirit to live. I want to do that with you now. Whether you need to renew your faith or start your faith. Because once you understand that and he lives in you, you have to share what he's done. You have to share what he's done with other people. Not only just by inviting them to a service, but by inviting them to hear about your story and your life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the season of Advent. I thank you that hope is not a system or religion, but hope is found in a person. Thank you for revealing yourself to us in such an interesting way. Only God could come up with the idea of the Trinity. Only you could reveal yourself in such a way that is beyond our comprehension, but can only be grasped completely by faith. So Father, we, we humbly bow today as a group of people hopefully expecting you to come into our life the first time or the millionth time, but also that one day you're going to return to make the world a tremendously different place. So Father, we admit our sin before you.
every single one of us, a sinner in need of a savior. We thank you that you had the vision, a goal to send Jesus at the perfect time in history. That he lived in such a way that not only did he atone for and pay for our sin, but that it's written down in such a way that we can grab hold of what he did. And we put our hope and our trust and our faith in the person of Christ alone. And we ask that you would even right now flood our lives with the very presence of the Spirit of God. Not based on our desire nearly as much as your desire to do something amazing in our lives and demonstrate your power in the life of people still again today. And all God's people said, amen, amen.